This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. I'm going to read a little uh, letter, story uh, written by author Tim Herrera. Don't know him. Found this letter. I thought it was appropriate. And the title is The Parents, the phrase that parents fear the most during Christmas. So I'm going to do a little reading, follow along. There are three words often heard this time of year that strike fear into the hearts of mothers and fathers everywhere. Do you know what those three words are? Just think it in your head what those three words are. These three words can crush the spirit of even the most capable parent. The words are some assembly required. My children, and this is him writing, my children have now grown beyond the stage where every Christmas gift they receive needs to be constructed using tools thinner than a sewing needle and more skinful and unwavering hand of a neurosurgeon. I cannot tell you how many times I have been frustrated at Santa's elves or the blue-vested, and this is how old the letter is, Toys R Us people, for not pre-assembling the mountain of toys my kids have received over the years. I have cracked knuckles to prove my point. Come see what Santa brought us, the kids would yell when they were very little. Daddy, why are your hands bandaged up and iced? It's easier when the kids are small. Many of their Christmas toys come pre-assembled. In fact, many come in one piece. All parents have to do is remove the expensive gadget from their boxes. And it's funny, have you tried to remove one of those expensive gadgets from boxes? It takes a lifetime. I mean, there's like 20 20, uh, or 1,000 zip ties holding that thing into that cardboard box. And then you have to get the, the knife out. But parents, they unbox it and they have to make sure all the bells and rings and buzzers sound. And before you know it, those toys are on the shelves because the kids are busy playing with the boxes and wrapping paper. You thought that uh, whiz-bang, educational, SAT-improving, PBS, pediatrician-approved learning plaything was going to be the star toy of this year, but we're just fooling ourselves. And don't forget, we need to thank the bank loans to get all this stuff. Some assembly required. That phrase echoes in my head. Again, this is still reading. Like an Edgar Allan Poe raven or that abrasive duck from the insurance commercials. It's harder when kids are in that in-between stage where they're too young to assemble toys themselves and also too young to be any help assembling them. Hey, son, pass me the screwdriver. You mean this? No, that's the garden hose. The screwdriver is that long metal thing with the plastic handle. You mean that? No, that's the shovel. Forget it. Never mind. And next thing you know, before you know it, daddy's yelling for mommy. Son, go get mommy. I'm pinned under the basketball hoop. I can't move. Harry, tell mommy I'm, I'm losing consciousness. Now that the kids are teenagers and almost 
He's talking about his kids and almost a team. The gift giving doesn't involve surgeon tools or craftsman tools or words under my breath or directions written in Swedish. The only knuckle scraping experience now comes from constantly reaching into my back pocket for my wallet. And the only blood I lose is from putting things, money in envelopes where I might risk paper cuts. I think that's a hilarious story. If you've lived that, you know what I'm talking about. Here's another one. Uh, it's about a postal worker. And we have a postal worker here, so maybe she'll laugh the hardest. Let's see. Um, I've learned growing up that I would say, hey, let me tell you this funny joke. Um, and I've learned that not all of my jokes are funny. So let, what I normally now say is, let me tell you a joke that I think is funny. And hopefully that you think. So I think this is funny. Hopefully you think it's funny too. But I will tell you there's a, a ring to truth to this story. There's a man who works for the post office whose job it was to process all the mail that had illegible, you couldn't read the address. One day, a letter came addressed in shaky handwriting to God with no actual address, only a return address with her name. So he thought he should open this up, this letter, and read it. And the letter read like this, Dear God, I'm an 88-year-old widow, widow living on a very small pension. Yesterday, someone stole my purse. It had $100 in it, which is all the money I had until my next pension check. Next Sunday's Christmas, God, and I invited two friends over dinner for, over, for dinner. And without this money, I have nothing to buy food with. I don't have family to turn to, and you're my only hope. Can you please help? Sincerely, Edna. So the postal worker was touched. He showed the letter to the other workers, and each one of them dug into their wallet and came up with a few dollars. And by the time the hat made its rounds, he had collected $96, which he put into an envelope, and he sent it to the lady, the woman. The rest of the day, all the workers felt a warm glow, thinking of Edna and the dinner she would be able to share with her friends. Christmas came and went. A few days later, another letter, a letter came in from the lady, the old lady, a letter addressed to God. All the workers gathered around while the letter was opened, wanted to read this letter. It said, Dear God, how can I thank you enough for what you did for me? Because your gift of love, I was able to fix a glorious dinner for my friends. We had a very nice day, and I told all my friends of your wonderful gift. By the way, there was $4 missing. God bless you, Edna. I think it's hilarious. It rings true. Uh, Elijah is downstairs, I believe. And uh, he did a fantastic job reading the scriptures last week. Do you remember that? I almost was a little bit of a boy because he messed up on a few words and I wanted to snicker. And I like, and literally I'm biting my lip. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, he's only in eighth grade. Don't ruin his life. And so um, I'm going to try to read without messing up. All right. So no snickering. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter two. It's the same story, different focus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that this will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which is just as they've been told. Amen. Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us this morning to glean what you want us to learn this morning. Lord, we know many of us have heard this story a zillion times. And Lord, I pray, God, that we wouldn't tune out to what the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us this morning. Lord, help us to tune in. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I've always wondered why did they choose shepherds uh, to share this glorious message, the message of the birth of Jesus? Why did they go to shepherds? Why did the angel go to shepherds? Now, you have to go back in the Old Testament a little bit to read about shepherds. It's very interesting. It's in, it's in Genesis. This is where Joseph was already uh, in the Egyptian uh, Pharaoh's home, and he had been raised to a place of authority. Uh, it's a long story, but his brothers, uh, there's famine, and so his brothers are coming, and um, we've already gotten past the story where they didn't know it was his brother and all that, but now his brothers are, and his family are wanting to come to Egypt because of the famine. And so if you look in Genesis chapter 46, it gives us a glimpse about shepherding and what people thought about shepherds. Then Joseph said, uh, Genesis 46, verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up to speak to Pharaoh and will say to my brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls on you and he asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable 
to the Egyptians. So Pharaoh in verse 33, when Pharaoh calls on you, he says, what is your occupation? Tell him your shepherds, because shepherds are detestable to all Egyptians. And uh, the fact of the matter is, I think shepherding, even to this day, across the globe, is detestable in many, if not all, cultures. It's a gross occupation, but everybody needs a shepherd. Yet no one wants to be a shepherd. So I decided to look on, online to see if there's any stories about shepherding. And lo and behold, the famous Mike Rowe did a show on dirty jobs on shepherding. Has anybody happened to see that one? It's one of the grossest things on the planet. So don't look now. You can look later. <laughs> it, is, it is by far, and he does, and Mike Rowe will actually do a TED Talk on his experience of being a shepherd. Uh, and his experience is pretty crazy. But it, it, it would make it on, and it did make it on Dirty Jobs, the show. And of course, like I said, his, the, the show on Shepherding went viral. If you had to pick an equivalent, if I had to pick an equivalent, I, I couldn't think of one other than maybe someone who uh, deals with trash uh, or the sewer system. Now, the interesting thing is that the Israelites in particular, the Hebrews in particular, were known for cleanliness and purity, rich, purity rituals. And so being a shepherd is one of the grossest impure things you could do for a living. Life as a shepherd meant long hours, tired, unwanted odors. And I'm glad Elijah's on picking on him today. Not enough of Elijah's cologne could cover the, uh, the stench of being a shepherd. You know, middle school cologne. The job entailed chasing and wandering sheep, treading dangerous territories, putting your life on the line every day. And something that came across my mind is I never thought about this, but King David was a shepherd and became king. King Jesus is a king, and not only did he become our, our shepherd, but he, be, he became that sacrificial lamb. God didn't choose Rome. He didn't choose uh, Jerusalem. He chose a little town called Bethlehem. He chose Israel. Now, we might think Israel's an important country, and it is, but back then they were really um, a group of people, just peasants, he chose a downtrodden country that they had almost forgotten who they were in their birthright. So back to the story. So when God sends an Evite, he sends it to, he doesn't send it to kings, to um, emperors, prophets. No, he sends it to the, the lowly shepherds. He didn't send it to scholars, soldiers, famous athletes. The angels and the wise men were invited, but he also invites lowly shepherds. I would say the least educated and the most despised people. Men whose skin probably glistened because of sweat and dirt and that you can smell a mile away. Most likely these shepherds lacked basic manners 
may have used coarse language, minimum age earners, minimum wage earners, and the least invited people to any party, especially a social event. But in the Bible and in the gospel story, the angels go to shepherds. They're the ones who are invited. I love this part of the story. I, it's one of the things I love about the Bible. You know, if you're going to fake a book about, you know, uh, this new religion, uh, you wouldn't be sending out the story to shepherds. Shepherds were, uh, were a bunch of nobodies. And matter of fact, we don't even know their names because they were just kind of clumped together by their occupation. Now, it's funny, the number one Christmas card background is of the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. The second most wanted background, according to Hallmark, I think it is, it's the wise men, you know, with their gifts. And way down the list is the shepherds. So not even today are they really uh, honored or valued. God's inviting this simple people, simple men, to be the first people to worship and to celebrate Jesus. And even though Jesus was only a few hours old, the shepherds arrive. It's interesting that Jesus' first, really, community were the outcasts. Three, dec- three decades later in Jesus' life, he's hanging out with uh, the same type of people, the, the outcast, the tax collector. He touched lepers with his hands and he touched them with his love. And Jesus, we know three decades later, is going to talk about servanthood and the first being last and the last being the first. And then Jesus is going to tell us Later on in his life, anyone who served the least of these, it would be counted as if they served Jesus himself. And this is the thing that I'd like for us to at least go home with, is that the, the message of the gospel, Jesus, the story of Jesus being born, was brought to the lowly. And as a church body of believers, that we, we should not change the template that we should be just like Jesus said, if anyone who served the least of these, it would be counted if they served Jesus himself. This little baby Jesus will grow up and eventually will rebuke his followers, his disciples, for trying to dismiss the children. And Jesus says, no, let them come. I love Jesus. I love his, his standard that he told us to live by. And it's one of the reasons we just love our kids. And I say, keep having kids. Kids are a blessing from the Lord. Our culture says don't have kids, but Jesus says, let them come unto me. So here we are at the scene of the birth of Jesus. And the spirit of God says to these nobodies, uh, low people on the totem pole, let them come unto me. I don't know if you can imagine you're out in the field watching sheep, trying to get some sleep, maybe hating your job. Anybody here hate their job? Just kidding, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I saw a few hands go up for it. Uh, then all of a sudden this bright light shows up. 
And then the angel shows up and it says these, these words, the incredible good news, the birth of Jesus. And he tells the shepherds, he tells these simple men to go and, and do something immediately. And so they follow the instructions given to them. It's interesting. Sometimes, you know, the, unless we become like little children, we just follow instructions and do it. So they make their way to Bethlehem and take part in this beautiful expression, or I would call an experience, experience that many generations have reenacted, and they do it up in Killarn. It's a beautiful scene, I think. Uh, you know, I saw a graphic Paula put up, uh, you know, the, like the living nativity. It's just a beautiful scene. It's reenacted over and over again. So when the shepherds leave, they tell everybody what had happened to them and their lives will never be the same. And when I came to know Christ in a very serious, impactful way, my life has never been the same. Their lives were never the same. And they knew that while they kept watching over their sheep, God kept watching over them. I would never have thought, I would never in a million years come up with this story the way Jesus did it, the way God did it, and how they favored the shepherds. Now, I would say, uh, I, I preached a message a long, long time ago. There are four creatures that are incredibly small, but yet exceedingly wise, and uh, it's found in Proverbs 30. I'm going by memory. 30, 29, 30. But these four little animals, these things are extremely small, yet exceedingly wise. And one of them is, um, if you read in King James, I think it says spider. Uh, if you read in different versions, it's lizard. And it's really like a lizard. And one of the things I used to share about the lizard is that, especially in Florida, lizards are, they're not, very, they're not worth very much. Uh, can you imagine trying to sell, you know, put a big sign, lizard, uh, $5. You, you wouldn't get any business because you can get one for free. Uh, there's one trapped in my screen kitchen window right now. Um, I'm trying to help them, I can't. Uh, but the Bible in Proverbs 30 says that these four animals are exceedingly small, super small, but really wise. And it talks, it talks about the lizard will be found in the king's palace. It's interesting that this little worthless animal, um, according to you know, the standards of business, it's not worth very much. But it will be found in the king's palace. And I thought of that scripture when I was reading this, is that, you know, shepherds are like, you wouldn't invite them. You wouldn't want to start uh, the Jesus story by going to them. But God knew better. And God was setting a standard for us, especially during Christmas time. That A, maybe people don't look at us very, as somebody who's very valuable. You know, we're not on front pages of uh, newspapers or on, on social media. You know, our job may be not as important as we would like it to be. You know, we're not, you know, we're not the who's who. But Jesus visits us. And he is with us. And he is with you. And I just love that about the story and it just resonates and it continues that maybe you're feeling like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a, 
a nobody doing a no job. You know, it's, I'm not changing the world. You know, I remember in my yearbook, I remember, <laughs> uh, I had a lot of confidence when I was young. I would sign one free ticket to see me play professional soccer. And so, uh, and that's what I was envisioning when I was 18 years old. And so, uh, so according to that standard and where I am today, I'm not a professional soccer player. Uh, I'm not very famous. I'm not all those things. But man, I would never trade my life if that meant not knowing Jesus. And I'm just so thankful that I get to know Jesus and he knows me. And, and even though I don't have this uh, super huge job, I get to fellowship with God. And so maybe you feel like, uh, hey, you're not that, uh, your salary's not worth mentioning. Your job title's not worth mentioning. But I believe Jesus favors people like that. Not that he has favorites. But he loves people like this and he doesn't reject them. He brings them close. Maybe you feel like no one knows you exist, but God knows you exist. God knows who you are. And I pray that if anything this Christmas season is that you know that he matters. You matter to him. And he desires a long and deep relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to be born so that God would be with us, Emmanuel. I know life is tough. I've experienced it myself. Sometimes life seems impossible. But one thing I do know, that God is with us this Christmas, not only Christmas time, but all time. And God is with us, Emmanuel, amen? Amen. So you may feel like, hey, um, you know, I'm a know nothing. But you're not in God's economy. You're not in God's world. And you're not in our world. Every person who walks through these doors is a person of value and we love you. So I pray that this Christmas season that you know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you and he wants to commune with you and he longs to be in a relationship with you. So respond to him, pray, ask God to come into your life, uh, read his word, spend time with him and, and begin to develop that relationship, not just for Christmas, for lifelong. God is with us. He's not just with the important people. He's with all of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you that no matter what our status is, our financial status, our job status, our age status, Lord, that you love us. And Lord, you set the example by reaching uh, the lowly people on this social status poll of shepherds. Lord, you've always, always loved those who've been rejected. And we still want to say thank you, Father. Lord, I was definitely, uh, I was rebellious and you still loved me, God. Thank you. We love you, Father. Every head bowed just for a moment. You say, Pastor Mark, can you pray for me? It's been a tough season this Christmas. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Amen. Yes. Hands all over. Lord, I pray, God, for those of us, maybe this season isn't 
all uh, jingle bells. But Lord, that this season, Lord, that they would sense a deep, deep sense of your presence and your love for them. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes out for people that you want to reach. And Lord, help us to be your instruments of grace and love. Use us this next few weeks leading up to Christmas and after, Lord, to show the love of Christ. Lord, help us to not overlook those who clean the offices, pick up our trash, Lord, that are cleaning yards. Lord, help us to never look, overlook them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to be your, your eyes, your hands, and your feet this Christmas season because you, we know without a shadow of a doubt you've loved us in spite of us, in spite of our social status. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's finish our time. We're gonna sing this song. And... Um, We'll finish our time. Let's go ahead and stand. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.